0: I wonder how many of you, when you first left home, you became a runner, Uh, meaning you were raised with a set of values, maybe you were raised in a church, you grew up going to church, you had a basic sense of right and wrong, or maybe you even had a sense of God wanted or what He didn't want for your life, but then you left home, you left college, you left for a job, you left uh, for whatever it was, you left for a new city, and you just sort of left all of that behind. Uh, For me, it really started when I was 18, and I left for Orlando, Florida for Navy boot camp, for airman school, and what uh, started there continued into Southern California and as I toured the Pacific, and even though I had a clear idea of right and wrong and moral and immoral and what God wanted, especially what I had learned from my grandparents and what I had learned spending time uh, just in the Bible, especially the New Testament, I kept all of that at an arm's distance. And I made the decision that at least until some later point in the future, I was going to do what I wanted, when I wanted, with who I wanted. Because I was in beachfront cities and ports all over the world. Plus, I discovered the power of a military uniform or being a U.S. serviceman when it came to the opposite sex. And again, though, I had a pretty clear sense of what God was calling me to or calling me towards. And the direction He was calling me. And God who I believed in. I had other plans. I had an agenda. And uh, quite honestly, he was going to have to wait for a long season. I was a runner when it came to God. And last week, TJ Lawson kicked off this short series that we're in, White Flag, if you missed last week, I strongly encourage you to watch or listen to that on newlifewichita.com or your favorite podcast app because the thrust of this series is we're looking at the story of Jonah. And most everyone is somewhat familiar with the story of Jonah. That there, and then there's this big giant weird thing in the middle of the story where there's a giant fish eating him. And last week as we began this journey, TJ said a couple of things. First, TJ explained why many of us Believe that this story actually happened. But he also gave those of you that would say, look, you know, listen, I, I'm on board with the Bible and God, but I just can't believe that this happened. You know, I just TJ gave you permission to not believe it. But one of the reasons I take it seriously is because Jesus seemed to take the story of the person of Jonah seriously. And as is, is often said around here, when someone can predict and pull off their own death and resurrection, which seems equally impossible... Yet hundreds of witnesses confirmed that it happened. Well, it's okay, I think, to just go with whatever he says. Plus, let's just be intellectually honest. If there is a God who can create the universe with a word, I mean, if you've seen the images coming back from the James Webb Webb telescope, I mean, they're just amazing. If there's a God who transcends space and time and creates the universe with a word, can we agree he might also be fully capable of keeping one guy alive and a fish for three days? Okay? But if you still go, like, I just can't buy it, that's okay, you don't have to. But you need to listen to last week's message so you know why it's okay for you to not believe that this actually happened. And the reason that this is important is because this story is relevant to you and to me, every single one of us. And I would hate for any of us to miss the point of this story because we have a hard, get hung up and have a hard time believing in one miracle. Now, the story of Jonah is the story of a man who ran from God, which makes his story your story and my story. Because there's a point in all of our lives where overtly or covertly, we just run from God, meaning simply there's a point in all of our lives where we decide to resist God's will. We resist his moral will, his ethic will, his specific will to do something or not do something. We resist his will in in terms of relationships or finances. There are lots of different areas. And here's how we know if we resisted his will. If you have ever said or done anything that hurt you or hurt others, you have resisted his will. You know. If you carry regret... For choosing to do something or say something that resulted in unnecessary hurt for you or for another. You knowingly or unknowingly, you resisted his will. Because his will, his will brings about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or maybe for some of you, you, you you're in a season or a period of your life where... You're resisting God entirely, and maybe you fall into the category that so many Americans do, where you know the stories, you know the do's and don'ts, you know the Ten Commandments, and it's not that you disagree with all of that. It's not that you think that that is all wrong. It's just you're not going to live your life that way. And and the funny thing is, though, you want the people around you to live their lives the way the Bible or the way Jesus says to live. I mean, when it comes to the way that they're going to treat you or treat people that you care about, you want them to be honest. You want them to be patient. You want them to be faithful and kind and fair and generous and gentle and loving and moral towards you and towards those that you care about, right? You want them to be all those things. It's just that in your life, like me at times in my life, you're, you're just going to do your own thing. So in a sense, you've stiff-armed God. You've turned your back back on god you're running from god and you're going to do what you want when you want with, with whom you want and god just doesn't get a say in any of that so you fall in the category of jonah that you've decided to run from god or maybe yours is kind of a mental thing it's i'm not even sure if there is a personal god with a personal will but you have a tension, and then there's a there's a tension right now because even in your own standards of right and wrong in your own sense of conscience you. Like you don't even subscribe to so-called biblical standards, but you have a sense of right and wrong, and it came from somewhere. You suspect that it came from God, but you're not even consistent with your own set of beliefs and values. So there's a tension there. You're running from God. And maybe you've done this. This is the thing we oftentimes do in order to just turn down the volume of our conscience. I just, just, just decide to not believe certain things. Because if I can adjust my belief system enough, eventually my conscience will quiet down. And I can do what I want. So maybe you've played that game. But in the back of your mind, when the music is off, it's late at night, and you're just staring up at the ceiling, and it's just you and you. You know that things aren't right with you. And if there's a God, things aren't right between you and God. And as you look at your life and the direction of your life, you know this in your heart, that eventually the chaos that you're creating is going to become more than you can manage. Eventually, it's going to catch up to you. The pain that maybe you've caused the people around you or your family or your parents or your children or your siblings, it's going to reach a boiling point. And you know that somewhere in the future, you're going to need and going to have to raise the white flag and end up surrendering. And I know this to be true because this is my story. As it is for millions. Some of you, maybe you've even planned a day or a season of your life where I'm going to run from God until after the summer because this summer I've got some plans. Or you've decided to run from God until you get past a certain age. Or until once this deal in my job is done or my career, you're going to run from God until you get married. And then once you're married, that area of your life where you're running from God, you're stiff-arming from God, you'll begin to do things His way from that point on once you're married. And based on whatever you believe it is that God wants you to do or not do. But until then, you're just going to ignore him. Or you're going to ignore him in that area. Say, God, like you can have these areas and I'll let you, you know, lead the way there. But this other one, I just need you to not look at that. And we're just going to ignore that. But eventually, you discover what Jonah discovered last week. And it's just simply this, that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. But eventually, there's a the day of reckoning. And that's what Jonah discovered, and that's where TJ left him last week in the belly of a whale. Now, just a quick review. God said to Jonah, Jonah, look, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is in current day Assyria, and I want you to warn these pagan people. I am sick and tired of their sin and their violence. I'm going to judge them, but first I'm going to give them a warning. And, God, and Jonah simply said, no, not going to do it. And like us, Jonah didn't have some big theological argument. Jonah said, I understand the assignment. I understand what you want. I understand your will, but no, I, I'm not going to do it. And you've all done that. We've all done this. Like I, I've read the book, or I've read the Bible, or I heard the sermon, I heard this talk, I believe it's true, but I'm, I'm just not going to do it. You know, my parents, your parents, maybe they gave you good advice, you knew it was good advice, but you're like, that's great advice. I'm not going to do it. So he gets on a boat, which wasn't super smart. He heads to Tarshish, which is in Spain, current-day Spain, which in that period of time was as far as you could actually go on a developed trade route away from Nineveh. He went the opposite direction, just like many of us do. And as a result, he discovered what we all discover eventually. And that is that God is generous in His grace, but God is thorough in His discipline. And I will say for most of us, there's a tension in that. There's a tension because we don't like it. Because we want God to be all grace. Everybody wants, even people that don't really subscribe to God, when they want to throw God out there, it's always about like, don't judge. God is a God of grace. God is a God of love. And we just want Him to be all grace. But the problem is, as Jonah discovers, God is all love. But because He is all love, He is generous in His grace, but He is also thorough in His discipline, just like any good parent is going to be. But here's the key. It's not to pay us back. It's to bring us back because He loves us. Because outside of His will, we will inevitably hurt ourselves and hurt others. And we will fail to love others as He demonstrated and called us to love others. In fact, in this season of your life, maybe you are waking up each morning in the chaos of your own design. And it could be that because God loves you, as he did for Jonah, he sent a storm in your life, but it's not to pay you back. Because when Christ died on the cross, he paid it. He took the penalty of your sin and mine. This isn't payback. This is bring back. This is win back. To bring you to the point that, like Jonah, to where he finally waved the the white flag and surrendered. Now, in chapter two of Jonah, here's what we discover Jonah's in this fish. He's in there part of three days and three nights, and when he gets out, he journals his experience. He gives us, it's a poem, or it's a a psalm, it's a song. And essentially, this is his white flag prayer. This is his big way of saying, I surrender. And in this prayer is some rich insight. But the bottom line, the bottom line is simply that Jonah discovers, as some of you have discovered, or you will discover, or are discovering, that God is incredibly generous with his grace. But God is also incredibly thorough with his discipline. Not to pay us back, but to bring us back. And I'm going to begin at the end of chapter 1. If you have a Bible app or a Bible you want to follow along. End of Jonah chapter 1. And we're told, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And from inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And I read that, and in my mind I think, I bet. I bet he did. And... 2,750 years ago, he states something that human beings have been doing ever since in every generation and every language. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Isn't it true that for some of you, that you got to the point where you prayed maybe for the first time in a long time. And when you did it, it was in your distress. You woke up one morning, you woke up the next morning, you began to recollect what you said or what you did the day, the night, the weekend before the possible ramifications began to hit, or you knew you had crossed the line. Maybe you knew you crossed the line at work, and then you got a message or an email from your supervisor saying, Hey, we need to talk. Or you were staring at a pregnancy test, the girl messaged, I'm late. You were in the back seat of a police car or you were headed home to tell your parents something you didn't want to tell them or to tell your spouse something that you've been avoiding telling them or trying to keep a secret and you just knew they were going to find out. Don't miss this. No matter what you believed, no matter what you believed about or convinced yourself about God beforehand, no matter what you did to justify your sin, your disobedience, your rebellion, in your distress, what did you do? You called to the Lord. No matter how smart or connected or careful or slick you were, when suddenly you were broken, you were busted, you were found out, you were discovered when your back was against the wall and you had no place else to run in your distress, you called to the Lord. See, circumstantial brokenness, coming to the end of ourselves, it overpowers our intellect, doesn't it? It overpowers our theology. It overpowers our resistance. It overpowers... All of that and in our distress we called to the Lord. He said, "In my distress I called to the Lord, and He answered me." And he repeats it from deep in the realm of the dead, realm of the dead, on the verge of dying, like he's in the stomach of a fish. Imagine how terrifying it's like. I should be dying, but for some reason I'm not. I want to die, and I can't seem to die. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. What is Jonah telling us? He's telling us that God listens. To the desperate cry of help from desperate people who are in desperate circumstances, including those of their own creation. You, You see, one of the reasons that you and I wait until we are almost ground into the dust and shattered before we turn to God is because there's something in you and me that says the way I have acted The way I have treated God, the way I've dissed God, the way I've taken advantage of Him. I mean, I even have prayed some prayers in my life, and God answered them. And then what did I do? I ended up just turning my back on Him again, as if He had never done it. I have a long history, so there's just no way I can turn back to God. It's just too embarrassing. It's too humiliating. It's too late. I mean, I had my chance, and I blew it. I mean, I pretty much just said, God, mind your own business. But now that I need him, I'm supposed to turn to him and say, God, I need you now. It's it's too late for me. But Jonah would say, no, let me tell you about your heavenly Father who isn't like broken, flawed, earthly fathers. He is the perfection of Father. Think of a perfect Father, and He is all of that. He is generous in His grace. And in my despair, I turned to the Lord, and guess what He did? He answered me. Because your Heavenly Father responds to desperate prayers of desperate people who are in desperate circumstances. Even those of their own creation. I know this to be true. And there is an enormous amount of grace in that. That regardless of how far you have strayed or run, it is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day invitation to just come back and surrender your will to mine. That's powerful. He says, you, God, not the sailors, you hurled me into the deep. Jonah has clarity that God is the one behind this misfortune. You hurled me into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. God, you were behind this calamity and chaos. I have said I have been banished from your sight and yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And we get to the interesting part of this prayer. And before I read it, I want to kind of paint a picture for you. We kind of have to use our imagination. Because remember, Jonah, earlier, he's on the ship. There's a storm. The boat's about to sink. And he says to the sailors, listen, you've got to throw me overboard. You've got to throw me into the waters. Because God is behind this storm. And I think God might just be so mad at me that he would be willing to kill you to get to me. So they throw Jonah into the water. Here's my question. At what point do you think Jonah repented? Like, when do you think he finally broke? Was it like two days inside the fish? You know, maybe the afternoon of day three? Maybe late into the first night? Like, when do you think he finally broke? See, I think it's when they had him, and it's like, one. Two, wait, wait, do we throw on three, after three? Okay, one, they throw him off. They hurl him into the air, and you know what I think? I think before he ever hit the water, he had already repented. I think it was like, God, he's going down, God, I repent, I repent, I will go to Nineveh, I will go to Narnia, I will go to both, I will go wherever you tell me, I will go as long as you want. I mean, he is a new man, right? See, see, when I was a kid, my dad spanked me, and I deserved them all, and he spanked me with a belt, a little old school, right, and he would take hold of his leather belt, and I would hear it whistle and pop as it came out of his pants, and uh, then he'd fold it up, and he'd give me a few whacks on my butt to discipline me, and you know what, I'm glad he did. So, don't send me an email or a message about this, okay? I'm, I'm glad he did. So, and I deserved it. And all four of my sons, especially, the funny thing is now that they're all in their 20s, one is 30 now, uh, all four, uh, after being around their peers that are about the same age and, and now seeing some of their peers create offspring, they have thanked my wife and I for countless times for disciplining them with a little controlled pain, okay? And whenever we gather around our adult sons and their friends with us, inevitably our sons will begin telling stories about growing up and uh, about their perspective as children. And they'll inevitably talk about when they had misbehaved and they were in their room and the sentence was coming down. They would hear me coming down the hall. They knew what was coming and how the steps sounded like giant invaders off of Lord of the Rings. You know, the ground shakes and the door of the bedroom like creaks open like the gates of Mordor. Like, like, the, like all these things that they just describe. And some of you, you get that. Like you, like you were disciplined with some controlled levels of pain. And, and you look back and you're glad that your parents did that. For some of you, we kind of wish your parents had done that for you because you needed it clearly and you didn't get it. But that's a conversation for another day. But my dad, my dad believed and my wife and I believed and some of us believe as parents that one of the best things that we can do for our children is to associate rebellion with controlled doses of pain. Because rebellion always leads to pain. And the earlier you learn this when the stakes are small, the better. Because doing what I want, when I want, with who I want, and no one else is going to tell me different, rebellion always and eventually leads to To pain. Now, here's the deal. When I was disobedient as a kid, as soon as I saw my dad reach for his belt, I was a new man. (laughs) In fact, like as soon as I heard his footsteps coming down to my room, I had repented. I am sorry, I am sorry, I will do what I was told. I'm sorry I didn't do what I was told. I shouldn't have said this, I shouldn't have done it. You know, here comes the belt. I have repented. I have surrendered all. I surrender. Whatever I need to do, I will and I would negotiate and I would plead for my life. And as a kid, like dad, just the sight of your belt. I have learned, I have learned, and just seeing it, I've learned my lesson. There's no need for pain. And you know what he would do? He would spank me anyways. Why? Because he knew. And your heavenly father knows that sometimes thorough needs to be disciplined. Or discipline needs to be thorough to help ensure that we don't run again for our benefit and and for the people around us who will inevitably be impacted by our choices with our rebellious attitude. He is generous with His grace, but He's also thorough with His discipline because He loves you and He loves me and He loves those whom our life affects. So His discipline is not to pay us back, but to bring us back. To win us back and to ensure that through the memory of the pain, through the scars of the sin, through the consequences of our running, that we won't ever, ever run again. Because He loves you. And lo- loves those whom we affect. So God allowed Jonah to rattle, rattle around inside the fish for three long days and nights. And listen, how to, he, listen to how He describes this. The, the engulfing waters threatened me. I mean, we can't even imagine how horrifying this would be. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head, you know, whatever's in these fish guts. I and mean, if you think you've got claustrophobia, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. God's discipline is thorough. When the nation of Israel disobeyed God in the wilderness, 40 years of wandering. When they, the nation of Israel rebelled, God sent them into captivity for 70 years. I think they probably learned their lesson by year seven. You know, by year three, they're like, okay, God, we get it. Okay, no more intermarrying, no more idols. Like, we're good. When King David disobeyed God, God wreaked havoc in his family, his authority, his reputation. I mean, he he was humiliated in ways that seemed to go far beyond what was necessary to teach him a lesson. But even in teaching King David that lesson, God never abandoned him. And it was from David that the Messiah came. Because God is generous with his grace and, and thorough with his discipline. Jonah continues, but you, in the midst of this pain and fear and terror and, and death and darkness, when I thought it was more than I could bear, when I thought it was more than I deserved, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit, the pit that you put me in. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you into your holy temple. And then he gets to the best part in terms of clarity. Don't miss this because in this next verse, he describes the dilemma that every person who is running from God faces. He writes, those who cling to worthless worthless idols forsake or abandon or or don't experience faithful love. They turn away from God's love for them. Now we've got to tease this out because this this is very important. He says, "When you run from God, you run towards something else. When you run from God, you're running to someone, to an opportunity, to a lifestyle. You're running towards pleasure. You're running towards entertainment. You cannot run from one thing without running toward something else." And Jonah is saying, "Everyone who runs from God eventually gets what they're running to. They finally get to that place or that season in their life, to their status that they're running toward, but..." But here's what what happens. It's not long before they realize that that thing or person that they devoted their lives to pursue, given their time to, dedicated their youth to, that thing or that person that was in the opposite direction of where God was calling them, suddenly, suddenly they realize, it is not all I thought it would be. They are not all I thought they would be. And they begin to miss what they used to have. They realize, what I wanted and pursued is not worth what I gave up. Because what they sacrificed was a relationship that everyone values. A relationship with their Heavenly Father. And all the things, all the things that that relationship offers. And odds are, they've blown up a number of personal earthly relationships as well in the process. Runners no longer experiencing the love of God isn't because of God. It's because runners have distanced themselves from experience, the experience of God's love. And eventually they get that relationship that they were running to. They get the sex. They get the money. They get, obtain the thing or the status or the marriage or whatever it was. They get to the point where they get that thing that they have given their life to and sacrificed for or they spend their life or they spend their life running and never obtain it. Either way, the end is the same. They come to realize that they sacrificed what they sacrificed for and pursued that thing that they thought would bring them happiness. I now realize I have traded the experience of the love of God and all that comes with it for a worthless idol. And here's how you know that he's exactly right. It's because in your despair and mine, you do not cry out for the thing that you pursued. You do not cry out for the thing that you pursued when you turned your back on your Heavenly Father. In your despair, you do not cry out for the person, or the deal, or the occupation, or the standard of living, or the lifestyle you pursued when you ran from God. You don't cry out out for any of those things. In our despair, we cry out to God. Why? Because in our gut, in our heart, we know the most valuable thing in life is to know that God, to know that my Heavenly Father cares for me by name loves me, is looking out for me, and that I can look to Him with nothing separating us. Every human being in his or her soul, whether they're willing to admit it or not, knows that what is most valuable the val- most valuable thing in life, which is why in our despair, we never cry out for the things that we pursued when we chose to not pursue a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So Jonah says, though those who run eventually and inevitably come to the point of brokenness where they realize it was a worthless idol. What I have sacrificed in order to obtain or chose to pursue instead of God and His will for my life, that exchange, it was a terrible decision. And here's what many of us have had to learn the hard way. It is not until we are broken, busted, or caught and our backs are against the wall that all of that finally becomes clear to us. It's not until then. In the midst of this prayer, there's this moment of clarity. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit or forsake God's love. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and in all this dignity, it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Do you know why the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time? Because God is generous in His grace, even though He is thorough in His discipline. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah, not shockingly, obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, here's what I want to do for those of us that are in the room those that are joining us online, is I I just want to create some space. I just want to create some space for the next few minutes for those of you that have been running in some area of your life. As I've been talking, you know exactly where that area is. You don't need me or anyone else to tell you. Or you've been running in your life as a whole. And I, I just want to create some space for you to do something a little scary but so, so necessary. I want to create some space for you to publicly, visibly, tangibly declare the fact that you're not going to run anymore. In just a few minutes, we're going to do something that we don't do very often. We're going to have what's been often referred to in hundreds of years of church history as an invitation, but a little bit different version of it. All I'm going to ask you to do simply to do is stand as a public declaration that this is the day. It's a way of just saying publicly to your friend or to your family, to your children, to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse. In some area of my life, up till now, I've been stiff-arming God. I've been keeping Him and His will at a safe distance. Choosing my will over His. I, I have, to use Jonah's term, clung to worthless idols at the expense of a clear conscience and a relationship with my Heavenly Father. I've run from God, and today I just recognize and acknowledge how foolish that is. And to the best of my ability, I'm deciding that I'm not going to run anymore in whatever area that is. And uh, maybe you'd say it isn't just an area, it's, just, it's actually just with my life. I've allowed God to be somewhere in the sphere of my life with Chad, as you described earlier. I'm keeping God at a safe distance to where, though I know He's called me in one direction, I'm choosing to go the opposite and I'm not going to waste another season of my life or even one more day pursuing something that eventually is just going to create more chaos in my life. And not only hurt me, but hurt people in my life who I care about, knowing that at some point down the road, I'm going to have to surrender anyway. So I don't want to wait till I'm in despair and then hope that God hears my prayer. Perhaps you're here, you're listening on your lo- online, that's where you are today. You're dealing with the pain, the complications and despair of your own creation. You made decisions that led to the storms that you're dealing with in your life. And you're kind of at the end of your rope. You've had the storm of discipline. You've had, it goes way beyond anything you deserve to the point where you just wonder if God loves you anymore. And it's like I stood up here and told your story. How do I know? Because it's not just your story. It's Jonah's story. It's my story. It's everyone's story. And when we finally quit running... And in our despair, we drop our weapons of defense and in humility, cry out to the Lord. The best news you may hear all year is that when you call on the Lord, He hears you and He responds. Because the point of all this chaos that you're experiencing or beginning to experience is because He wants you back. Completely. So in a minute, I'm going to pray a prayer and then Helen and Diana are going to reprise who you say I am. And during this song, if if any of this message has resonated with you, after they start playing and, and singing, I just simply want you to stand where you are, and then using whatever words you want to use to just tell your Heavenly Father, I'm not running anymore, I'm done, I'm done running, now I just want to say for the men, for some of you, I know what's happening, because as soon as I start talking about something like this, the anxiety begins to go up. And if you're wrestling with what I'm saying or asking you, if you're wrestling on the inside, you need to know you're not wrestling with me. If while I was talking this morning, if you felt like I was talking to you, because you know, you know, you know the area of your life that you keep hidden. Or maybe it's not really that hidden, but you've justified it. And in your life, in, or in your life in general, you're playing the good American Christian. You go to church on most Sundays and show up, or I listen regularly, but you know, you're a resistor in an area you're a runner. Let me just be clear. You're not resisting me. You're resisting God. It's Holy Spirit who's, who's prompting you, trying to get your attention. One of the greatest gifts that some of you men could ever give your wife or your fiance or your girlfriend or your children or the next generation is just the courage and the humility to sack up and go public with the fact that you've been a runner, but you're just not going to run from God anymore. So for any of you men and women today, to say all that changes, here's the promise. When you cry out for help, God's answer is yes. I will help you. He's not trying to pay you back. He loves you too much. He sacrificed his son for you, simply to bring you back for your sake and the people that you love and for the sake of the next generation. So I'm gonna pray and then as soon as these ladies start, if, if it's that's you, I just want you to respond simply by standing where you're at. And we'll finish the song and then uh, I'm going to come up and I'm going to wrap this up But just to stand and say, simply say, God, whatever you want from me, the answer is yes. Father, I, I pray for all of us because easier said than done. And God, I pray for everyone listening to me because the areas where we're running should be clear. The areas that we've shoved to the side and... God, I just pray that you would give us the courage. That you would give us all the courage to, to face up to it to it, to own it. And then, Father, that you would show up in a very tangible, tangible way in response to that. And that you would help us in that area to finally, finally quit running and to maybe begin to have the relationship with you that quite honestly we've longed for a long time and we're kind of confused why we haven't had it, but it's because of this. And you've just been waiting for us to stop going the opposite direction to turn to you in this. So, Father, I pray, I pray this for all of us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.